Welcome to CareCast, CareNet's podcast on family, faith, and life, with me, Vincent DiCaro, CareNet's Chief Outreach Officer, and Rollin Warren, CareNet's President and CEO. In this episode, you'll be hearing an interview with Rollin and Dr. Meg Meeker, a pediatrician and author of books such as Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, and Strong Mothers, Strong Sons. She's a national expert on issues around parenting and teen sexual health. Dr. Meeker was one of the keynote speakers at CareNet's 2016 National Conference in September. Rollins sat down with her to talk about why teens want to talk about sex with adults, what fathers can do to unlock their potential to solve many of our nation's problems, and how life, Christ, and family are interwoven. Here are Rollins and Dr. Meeker. Well, it's great to be with everyone again uh, on CareCast, and I've got a special, special guest, Dr. Meg Meeker. Uh, who's at our CareNet conference, 2016 CareNet conference. She's going to be one of the keynotes. She's going to be doing that in a little bit. So delighted to be with you again. Oh, you know what, Rollin, I'm so excited to be here. I don't know how many months ago it, either you asked or somebody asked, and I thought that's where I belong, Great. is speaking to, th- th- I mean, this is my heart. Yeah. This is my heart. Life is my heart, helping unborn babies, but also helping mm-hmm. the young girls before they get to the point where they're pregnant. I right. think that the pro-life issue is very broad. Mm -hmm. It's not just about saving unborn babies, it's about saving girls and saving Mm -hmm. young men from our culture that's sort of sexually trying to twist them in knots. Gotcha. We got a lot of work to do. We do. Now, now I I didn't do that in the introduction, but you are a pediatrician. You're a doctor. You and your husband are are physicians. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you sort of got started from, you know, um, being in your practice to writing books to yeah. now working with Dr. Dobson like what's the history of that? Well, it's funny I came into it backwards a lot of authors say I want to be an author tell me how to write a book I said don't ask me because I sort of fell into it I went to an all-women's college in the 70s and saw the 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 rise of the sexual revolution and feminism and I will admit I thought that was great mm-hmm. This is good. I mean, gotcha. why not? You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know any better Went to medical school, met my husband, and we were in medical school together. And after our um, medical training, uh, medical school, I went and did my residency at Children's Hospital in Wisconsin, and we had two children, and he stayed home with our kids, which was extraordinary. And I thought, wow. He was a strong Christian, Uh and I wasn't. So he led. And I was amazed. So it was really through my husband that I came to know Christ, which is usually backwards. Usually it's the woman right, first, right, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, after I was done with my training, he did his training, and we said, we can go anywhere we want. Where should we go? And we ended up in, I had worked in teen and taught clinics in Cincinnati, Ohio, and Milwaukee, and I loved mm-hmm. it. You know, pregnant, inner city, 15, 14-year-old girls with their babies. And I was honestly giving him a lot of birth control. I thought, that's what we're supposed to do. Good doctors make sure right. we help avoid pregnancy and kids. Okay. So I gave shots of Depo, 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 Depo. But I would see these kids come back into the clinic, A, not adhering to it, and B, miserable. Yeah. Out of control. Okay. Miserable. So in other words, I was learning firsthand that all this birth control didn't work hmm. to help these kids. Right. It worked maybe for six months, but then after that, it, it was something deeper was going on so I we moved to Traverse City it's a tourist city it's beautiful it's on Lake Michigan and I thought okay. I'm yeah. away from all that now my husband and I are gonna set up practice and I'm gonna just just take care of some mothers who have difficulty breastfeeding gotcha. and who want to read books okay. I'm not gonna take care of troubled kids and over the years the first six seven years there I started seeing a lot of kids in my practice who were you know a lot of my friends kids and a lot of my kids friends 
And they were sexually active at 14 and 15. I go, wait wow. a minute, what's right, happening right here? In Traverse City? Yes. No. It's the cherry capital of the nation. <laughs> well, and I, you know, and I thought, well, I knew it was out there, of course. I mean, I was pretty hardened. I, I, I'd worked in, you know, many, many inter clinics. And I thought, well, what's going on? And then I was very upset of the, the increasing sexualization of our kids. And I realized a lot of these young kids, A, had no idea how dangerous sex was. This was right. way before Gardasil, remember, Rollins? Wow. Okay. You know, this is in the 90s. Right, right. We just found out what caused cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wait a minute, don't you kids know how dangerous this is? Well, no, you know, our teachers tell us condoms are good. And I'm like, whoa. So then I started working with Joe McElhaney at the Medical oh, Institute for Sexual yes, Health. Yes. Gotcha. And I started being very vocal about the fact that sex was dangerous for kids. Started doing talks, and literally, one talk I was giving. Uh, a publisher was in the audience and her mouth dropped open. She said, are you kidding? These medical facts about this epidemic of disease in kids is true? And I said, it's very true. She said, well, I'll tell you what, if you come to Washington, D.C. and prove it, we'll publish a book. I said, well, I'm not really an author and I don't have an agent. I'm just this pediatrician from Northern Michigan. Right. Okay. <laughs> Long story short, my book came out. It was called Epidemic, How Teen Sex is Killing Our Kids, Making the Medical Case Against Selling Sex to Kids. Well, and this was really the first time someone had used the medical exactly. approach. Exactly. Nobody to that. done it. Wow. Nobody. I, I did a book and they sent me this short little media training for a couple of days and the book the day my book came out i was sitting across from bill o'reilly wow. who was saying doctor doctor you don't know what you're talking about if you expect teenage kids not to be sexually active you cut your head in the sand oh oh i was mad so i held my own and i said never invite a guest on who has medical data if you don't care about the data mm -hmm. if this is all your stick don't you know don't demean us. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I was thrown into the, the firestorm of the abstinence versus comprehensive sex education debate. Gotcha. And I stood firm, debated planned peg pregnancy, um, planned parenthood, mm -hmm. excuse yeah. me, yeah. in Pennsylvania, took them down. The lady said, I ref this was, it was being taped by the BBC. They were doing a special on American virgins. They didn't show it in the U.S., they showed it in Europe. And they and she said you can't this head of Planned Parenthood said you can't show that, you know. Wow. But they did, and it was it was fabulous. So I have for a long time, and then that book got a lot of attention. We re, the, my publisher came out and, and redid it called Your Kids at Risk, hmm. and that was it. I was off and running, and you know God just sort of sort of said go and you continue to see patients through oh yes process. yes yes yeah now here's the interesting thing Roland kids are far more open to my message than their parents yeah I would and go why, and why do you think that oh think easy that? parents feel guilty and they mm -hmm. feel confused and they've drunk the kool-aid mm -hmm. they've drunk the kool-aid from our generation you and I are probably yeah. the same age and we were trained sexual freedom is an American right, right. right. mm-hmm so for you to come in and say it's not, it hurts our kids, how dare you? Plus, parents' number one question to me after I gave them the spiel that on the epidemic and how we've grown from one, two sexually transmitted infections to over 30 and how HPV causes cancer, not just colds, yeah, yeah. Like, like the advertiser on television would like to show you, you know? Um, they would say, okay, okay, I get it. And then they'd say, well, tell me this, Dr. Meeker. What am I supposed to tell my son or daughter I did? Right, right, yeah. Odd. And I said, well, first of all, um, your kid 
doesn't want to hear about your sexual experiences because in your kid's eyes, there are two people in, in the, on the earth that are not sexually active. You're one of them. So <laughs> right, right. don't go there. Right, right, right. Get over yourself. This is a different day. This isn't 1970 or 1980. It's 2005, 2010, 2015. So slowly I got through to, but here's the encouraging things. I would walk into an auditorium filled with 700 teenagers. They would be on the edge of their seat hmm. and they wouldn't want to leave the auditorium because I talked to them about the physical dangers of sex and the emotional. Right, right. And I'll tell you, always at the end of a talk the senior boys who are sitting up in the you know in the loft in the nosebleed zone in the dark where you can't they don't want to be seen would come down and they'd look at me go dr meeker thank you i get it i get why i've been feeling so crummy for so long mm -hmm. i've had so many partners and everybody says it's supposed to make you feel better right and i feel awful yeah yeah well it's interesting always yeah, and you know it's funny because that's sort of how I got uh, involved in the, the fatherhood work before coming to CareNet was actually I started out doing abstinence presentations in high schools and you know church groups and things of that nature, really talking about you know sexual risk avoidance and those kind of stuff, and really talking about it's interesting to say that with the physical, physical, emotional, spiritual, and social risk associated with sex, and all the conversation was really around just the physical. If there was any conversation exactly. about risk, it was only about well, the because physical. that's the data we had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and most of the people that I know who've been damaged in a sexual relationship, it hasn't been because they've gotten an STD or something like that. It's because they've been used and abused shame. by somebody. Exactly. Tremendous yeah. shame. They get wound up in shame. But here's the thing. When you're an adult or child, teenager, who is living with that much shame mm -hmm. around so much pain, but you're living in a world that says, hey, everybody, this you've arrived. Yeah. If you've had a hundred girlfriends, you've arrived. You're a man. So why do they feel so gross on the inside? Why can they not stay married? Why do they not want to get married? So to a man especially, it's very confusing because if you cracked a man's sexuality, yeah. you take the whole man down. Yeah. It's not so much for women because we we wear more hats and we don't have time to get into it. But that's where I find that's the that's the devil just thrilled he gets you want to get a man you hook him sexually take him down and exactly. because, because he's living with so much shame yeah. but nobody tells him there's the shame there yeah yeah no i i definitely saw that when i was talking when i was talking to the the, the teens and you know the fact that there's you know physical and emotional and spiritual core and and particularly with with guys you know you know this this physical piece is such a big part of who we are Yes. You know, I used to talk about something called the sexual Super Bowl. It was kind of, sort of had this outer core of... <laughs> hey, that'd be a great book title. Well, maybe I should. <laughs> you, you want to make a million bucks, there you go. Well, that, that's what yeah. I talk about. I talk about the fact that there was this outer core, which was physical, and then a core that was inside of that that was emotional, and then a, a center, which was spiritual. And that fact that with, with women and with men and boys and girls in this context of the teens, that how 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 wide those cores were and how in other words how deep they are is different so with with a woman in the sense that you can kind of get through the physical and get to the emotional conversation around sex very very quickly whereas with boys the physical is very very thick yes. 
Very thick. Very thick. Yes. So a lot of times they're not responding to what I found is that most of the abstinence presentations or conversations were really kind of focused on an emotional piece. And since the boys weren't responding immediately, that the focus was, well, boys will be boys and girls will be careful. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. But if you're really going to get someone to actually live this out, uh, you have to get to that emotional and spiritual place. And it's a little different, a little harder in some ways with, with boys than, than with girls. And I found that once you do that, then you can actually get into a place where you're having the kind of conversation. Because men and women, they all have that same, that same physical piece. Exactly. Now, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the life issue. Because I can certainly see how, you know, from the work that you did, and you're seeing these folks coming in sexually active, uh, not using birth control, even though it's available. And obviously there's a deeper need there. Yes. It's not really about the sex. No. It's about right. something else. In that. Right. And then the consequence can that be, obviously, is that you end up having you know, these unwanted pregnancies or unplanned right. pregnancies and that kind of thing. So talk to me about that in the context of your practice and how that moved you along in terms of the whole life discussion and your involvement there. Well, you know, as I said early on, probably in the early to mid 80s, well, I graduated med school in 84, so probably 84 to the, the, the latter 80s, really before I came to know Christ. I thought abortion was a woman's right. This is what we should do. But, you know, I was from a women's college. So we were trained to think. And But when I started working in clinics with a lot of kids who are sexually active, and a lot of these young girls wanted babies mm -hmm. because you know, um, they, they, they wanted something. And so I realized very quickly, wait a minute, shots of birth, shots of depot aren't going to do it because truly medically preventing pregnancy is an easy thing to do. Right. Right. And it's available anywhere to everybody. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is. It's not about access mm -hmm. as the other side would like to say, mm -hmm. it's not about access. A lot of these kids wanted these children and then they had these children and then of course the kids didn't deliver and so they started abusing them and so on and so forth. And I thought it's very unethical for an adult to come in and say, no, you don't have the right to have that baby because you don't really know. Right. That's just not ethically sound. So I thought we've got to get to these kids on a, on a deeper level and we've got to help them. And then, and at that point we didn't have you know, now we have ultrasounds and now we have beautiful books depicting what a, a you know, a nine week old embryo looks like and a 12 week old. And so I just sort of began to open my eyes and go, hold on a minute. I think we've been doing a huge disservice to these kids all along. So I realized my birth control tactics weren't working. The kids weren't happier. They're were having babies anyway. So I needed to come up with a different plan. And that's when I really started diving into emotionally I needed to, 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 to help these kids out I need to spend more time with them in my practice mm -hmm. which I did mm -hmm. which is in a medical and particularly the way medicine's going right now doctors don't have time with patients and right. they will have less time with them in the future right. because we're, we're we, we don't we don't say what we do we don't decide what we do you know we're just trying to keep afloat and keep our practices open so my husband and i did that and we opened a very unique practice together we said we're going to just do whatever we want we're going to pray with our patients we're going to tell them the truth mm. and and here's what happened Roland. we live in a fairly small town and if you have young teenagers in a fairly small town and you like teenagers word gets out pretty fast because one thing i found is most doctors aren't comfortable with teenagers pediatricians mm. see kids to 13 right. internists pick up kids at 18 so from 13 to 18 parents don't take their kids to the doctor because a doctors who do they take them to mm -hmm. and b they think they're fine anyway mm -hmm. but they're not that's when they really need the help so i started to see a lot of teenagers started coming to me hmm. and interestingly enough these kids knew what i was going to tell them 
Don't be having sex. But they liked it. Wow. Somebody. somebody. They liked it because they knew Dr. Meg was going to talk to them. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna t- I was gonna answer any question they had, and I was gonna have fun with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I think the other side says that all of us who teach abstinence, and I don't even know if they're using that word anymore. Yeah, sexual risk avoidance. I think okay, is the yeah, term whatever. I hear now. Okay, but yeah, but put the brakes on. Whatever means the same thing. <laughs> we we are the right. ones who are yeah. fuddy duds. We're the ones who shame yeah. people. Yeah. We're the dark people that say, you know, don't live this way. I would tell kids right off the bat, let me tell you something. Sex is unbelievable. And they'd sort of stand there and go, and I'd say, your body is designed to be able to function sexually for 60, 70 years, 60 or 70. So if my job as your pediatrician is to help you have 50 great years, so in order to do that, mm-hmm. you got to really pay attention to what I'm going to tell you how to handle the next 10 years mm. from 15 to 25. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And they go, oh, Oh, okay, because kids don't think there's good sex after 25. Right, right. Because they, they don't think there's good life after 25. Yeah, because if you look at the models on television, oh, you know, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, and and, it, and, and it what man is macho? Plus, yeah. that's where parents come in, and parents don't have sex. Right. And if they do, it's pretty creepy. Yeah, yeah. So if you're gonna have any fun, it's from 15 to 25, right. because after that, body parts start falling off. You yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you tell kids that doesn't happen, and you tell them to be in charge of your bodies, and here's where I try to encourage young men. From a psychological standpoint, you know that the movement from adolescence into manhood is about controlling yourself and your decisions. Yeah, yeah. You you control your your choice of career, mm-hmm. you control your choice of mate, right. you can tr- control whether you smoke cigarettes or not, how much alcohol you drink, you control yourself on the football field if you're an NFL player. But then they're taught when it comes to your sexuality, right. which is a, it, which is connected yeah. to every other part of you, that's out of control. Right. What do you? And, and then I'd say to kids, do you think that's going to mess you up? And they go, well, I guess it would. They get it. Kids, when you talk up to kids and you talk thoroughly to kids, they're with you and they get it. So that's how it kind of morphed in my practice that I started seeing all the kids in town. Gotcha. Much to the dismay of my own kids because they were growing up in this town. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm the sex doctor. (laughs) Not fun. Yeah, yeah, right. right, I took my daughter to Miami University years ago to interview and I don't know if you've seen the tape that I did years and years ago around my book, Epidemic. I didn't, but some other people did, co- called um, The Rules Have Changed. Yeah. So anyway, it was the ta- tape, Don't Have Sex, and I t- the medical facts. So we're getting a tour of the college, and the tour guide has a group of maybe 12 kids. My daughter's listening. And finally, at the very end, the tour guide looks at me, and she goes, I know who you are. You're the lady on that sex video that they show in this class. <laughs> I thought my daughter was going to die. I don't even think she applied to Miami. Because nobody knew the context. She knew my video was about how to not be sexual. They were showing it Miami University. Wow. So it's really cool, but... Yeah. (laughs) She didn't want to be the daughter of that. No, but you know what's really pretty cool is that kids, when they realize you're fighting for them, like your crusade and a lot of kids joined me not just my kids but a lot of high school and college kids
Well, yeah, I, I can, and I can understand. They that. like it because yeah. you're for them, and you're the one who wants to preserve their beautiful sexuality. You're the ones to help them make choices over their sexuality, mm-hmm. because the pro-choice people believe you don't have a choice. You're gonna have sex. If you don't wear triple condoms, you're going to get pregnant. We don't even worry about you getting herpes and HPV because condoms don't prevent prevent those, and some of us know it and some of us don't. But, you know, we're just about damage control. Right. You know, right. make sure you get on with yeah, your Yeah, it really is. It really is in many ways. It's, it's just a physical response. Totally. So as long as you don't get pregnant, to some degree you don't get... STDs, then everything. Maybe. Is, then everything yeah, but is, they don't even. But they don't understand yeah. that condoms don't don't yeah. you know reduce the risk of herpes and HPV. Exactly, which are skin to skin types yep. of types yep. of. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And when I got involved in this, that was one of the things that I, uh, one of the things that was very very clear to me. Now you talked a little bit about men. So yes. the other thing you were telling me about, it's almost like uh, Wilberforce. You had your great objects, right? Your <laughs> yeah, one great object is right, yeah. you're helping ten, teens not have sex and and understand. God's design for that. But then the other piece is really helping men be better fathers. Yes. And that's how you and I yes. connected connected years ago. Yeah. It makes, in some people's minds, it might seem like, wow, those are non sequiturs. But yeah. in your head, they're, they're no, not. No, they're, they're intimately. Not because, well. see, I'm a very logical person. And this is what happened. I realized that years ago, because I was battling this abstinence education mm-hmm. bit and fighting, and Medical Institute had lobbyists in D.C., and we just weren't making any headway. So I said, here's what I'm going to do. If I want to keep a young girl out of the backseat of a boy's car, who do I need to talk to? Mm-hmm. And I realized if I want to, if I want to really get her protected, mm-hmm. there was one person in her life I need to communicate to was her father. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, and I sort of pulled one over in the book. I talked about strong fathers and how they, you know, create strong daughters. I talked about her. The risks to his daughter if she goes out and has sex when she's 15, 18, whatever. Boom. Dad's got it. It's like there was there's a wiring in them. Yeah. All they needed was that little tap. And I thought, wow, if men as fathers, they're wired with all of this electricity that's just not been plugged into. Right, right, right. But they don't know it. So I did that and I go, well, that's amazing because dads have a huge impact on the development of a healthy sexuality of a girl yeah. and of a son. Yes. And that terrifies them to know that. Yeah. So you talk around it and, and, and get them to a position where they're helping develop a healthy sexuality in, in a son or daughter, but they don't know it. Yeah, yeah. And then you win. Yeah. Because they're afraid. But fathers, and, and what I found is the father... The girls in my practice who had anorexia and bulimia, the girls who had fathers who started to engage got better quicker. Mm. The girls who had depression and anxiety, because I see a lot of teens, whose dads kind of said, hey, what, what can I do here? What can I do? I said, let's keep it really simple. Spend more time with her. Hug her more. You know, pay attention and listen. Just do those three things. They get overcome their depression more. Mm. So then I started to dig into this phenomenon of, of the profound effect of fathers. And I found, as you know, that the, there's a paucity of great research on fathers. This is, you know, maybe eight years ago compared to mothers. Mm-hmm. Because life in America is all about women yeah, and moms. Right, right. We're the center of everything. We do everything. But there's not much on fathers. So then, but I took the good research that the father 
fatherhood, you know, that you guys all had. Yeah, National Fatherhood Initiative. National, yeah. National Fatherhood Initiative have that. Right. And I just sort of used some of that, and I just started to dig, and I just threw it out there, and men caught on. Mm-hmm. And and I will tell you, you know Dave Ramsey. Yeah. He is a good friend of mine. He, I think, single-handedly made my father-daughter book a bestseller because he, as a dad, wow. a finance guy with his huge radio show, went on the air, unbeknownst to me, for a year and said, this book rocked my world because it showed me who I am and what I have, and I never knew it. Wow. And that's where American fathers are. Yeah. They have all of this ability yeah. to change their children's lives by doing small, simple things. Yeah. And so I've been on this because I believe, Roland, and you know this, there are few social ills in our country mm-hmm. that cannot yep. be solved by having good dads in the home. No, absolutely. Yeah, and it, it's it, and, that's and, and, true. And, yeah. and women need to understand this. We need to understand that if we want to help our kids, we got to help those the, the fathers of those kids. Yep. And, you know, it's interesting because, and, you know, as we kind of transition to the life issue, you know, that was one of the pieces that, you know, as God led me from National Fatherhood Initiative to CareNet, uh, that I was, you know, in my view, sort of mission to kind of help people understand, which is the fatherhood connection to the life issue. Yes. You know, we did a bunch of research uh, about a year or so ago, and uh, we did it with, with LifeWin. We surveyed women who had had abortions. And when we, when we asked these women, uh, we asked these women, who were you likely to talk to about your abortion? More likely to talk to, and we gave them a list of people, abortion providers, your best friend, your girlfriend, your mother, your father, all these different folks. The number one person that they talked to was the father. Yeah. The father of the child who got them pregnant. Right. I mean, the, the, the father. And then we asked them, who was the most influential in your decision to abort? Uh, and it was number one was the was the father of the child. Mm-hmm. So this father factor in the abortion issue is is key. Key. Right? And tapping into the kind of thing that you're talking about, this protective mechanism uh, that men have have wired in them that God I think just designed within designed them, it's, within it's, them. It's, yeah. it's the wiring. It's the electricity exactly. that's just not been plugged in. So you've got the father piece yeah. on both ends. One in terms of whether her decision to abort or not, but yeah. then you also have it on the front end because we know that that the girls that have involved responsible and committed fathers yeah. are less likely to be sexual active to begin totally with. totally so, um, so it comes full circle comes full her circle. father then the father of her child and yeah. and 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 I and I just feel so strongly about this Roland because we're living in a world a culture that hates fathers you know the fathers are the butt of everybody's jokes they're stupid they need a snarky 12 year old to tell them you yeah. know what to buy for dinner and yeah. how to you know do everything you know the Homer Simpsons Adam Sandler's and they've been branded meticulously yes. yeah. by media because of the influence of feminism yeah. and so you know whenever a war like feminism is fought or the sexual revolution is fought they're always casualties mm-hmm. and the two casualties unfortunately in both of these situations have been good men yeah. and most men are good men mm-hmm. Yes, I most sure. men are good men, yeah, yeah. you know, and, 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 and if we can just begin to come aside and underneath the young fathers of these teenage girls who get pregnant and the fathers of the teenage girls themselves and say, listen to me, men, just start letting some of yourself out. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. OK. It's safe. You yeah. know, be a man. Protect. Yeah. 
Men love to do that. Yeah. But 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 in a culture that says no, 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 no. Yeah. That's that's chauvinistic. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a word for everything good. Yeah. It's antag, <laughs> you know, every right. anything good if you yeah. have a Christian faith, you're a bigot, whatever. And if you're a good man, well then you hate women. I mean, it, it it's so bizarre yeah. and convoluted. So, you know, I really I perceive that our work is very very clear in the pro-life community, and that is to champion and and to encourage all good life, the good life of the father and encourage him mm-hmm. to be a good man. Right. And encourage him the, the father um, to the child who is unborn to say, "Wait a minute. This is your child too. Mm-hmm. It isn't just about your girlfriend's body." Right. Exactly. He knows that, but he doesn't want to say that. Right, yeah. So Because he losing. doesn't feel he has a right. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. But he, he has a right. Her gene, his genes are in her. Yeah, yeah. So that's part of him there. So you can't even make an ethical or logical argument that he, he shouldn't be involved. Right, exactly. But the other side does. Gloria Steinem, I just heard her on an interview. She has a new book out. Terry Gross interviewed her, and she kept referring to the woman's need to have an abortion. Yeah. That's odd. Yeah. What's a need? What's a medical need? It's yeah. more dangerous to have an abortion than to deliver a baby. Yeah. From a medical standpoint. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. You know, and 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 that kind of leads me to like as we kind of wrap up to a little bit in terms of like what are you going to share with the, with with the CareNet? That's folks a surprise. Yeah. No, I know because <laughs> these people, these friends aren't, aren't aren't at the conference. Yeah. 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 So really what I'm going to talk about at the Karenet conference is the whole intertwining of life, Christ, and family. Mm-hmm. Okay. If we choose life, which we do, um, the only faith we can have, if we want a faith, is Christ. Right. Because Christ is the only spiritual leader who is life. Christ gives life to us in the beginning, and then right. he gives us another birth after death. Mm-hmm. So his name is life. And Christ is in the family and in and, and he winds it all together in a beautiful beautiful way so to me life and christ and family are inseparable because mm-hmm. he talks about himself as the bride of the church mm-hmm. yeah well the, it's, he's it's, the it's, husband yeah. to us so you know it, it's all beautifully wound together in a, in a in a picture puzzle that he draws for us and only christ draws it so if you are pro-life and you are spiritual the only option you have is to follow the, the author of life, because mm-hmm. nobody else authors it. Yeah, it's excellent. So I'll go into that just a little bit. Yeah, because that's another one of my things. We need to be understand our theology in the next twenty years, mm-hmm. because it's going to get intense out there. Yep, I think you're a thousand. A thousand and those who are pro-life yeah. need to understand yeah. why we believe in Christ, as opposed to you know other things. And and what you're saying really fits in very well with the. the uh, theme of the conference, which is pro-abundant life, yes. off of John 10, 10, 10, 10, that whole focus there. And and, and even in, in Karenet's vision statements, these three choices, choose Jesus, choose life, choose family. And you're you're tying a lot of that, yeah. that together. But you didn't give me enough time. <laughs> I'm a woman. You, gotta, you know, for every half hour you give a man, you got to give me an hour and a half. Well, I know. We might end up doing like a, just a, meg, <laughs> a Meg Meeker conference. I'm teasing. So I'm can, teasing. So you got to cut me we off. Can all that, we can fit all that stuff in. You well, listen, thank you so much. Thank you. And God bless our listeners. And I want to encourage our listeners, stay strong. This is the good stuff. This is the right stuff. You're living out the heart of Jesus. And And as lonely as it gets out there, 
talking and wondering as you're in a little room with a teenager who's crying who says, I'm gonna leave and have an abortion. You feel like, why do I do what I do? Hang strong because yeah. you're in the room with Jesus. Absolutely, amen. Amen. That was CareNet President and CEO Roland Warren interviewing Dr. Meg Meeker, who delivered a keynote address at CareNet's 2016 National Conference. That's it for this episode of CareCast. Until next time, may God bless you daily as you serve him faithfully.